what I call a drive-by blessing that, oh, you need some money for gas, here's 20 bucks, there you go, you're good, you got on your way, you're, you're not my problem anymore, you can be someone else's problem. That's how we do it. That's what we do. But as, God's, as I read scripture and, and we, we actually look at this, and we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, that Good Samaritan, when he saw the dying Jewish man laying there, about to take his last breath, he could have just left him there, doctored him up, made sure he'd be good enough for the next guy to take care of, and went on his business. But we saw that he went above and beyond. It said that he poured oil and wine on his wounds and he bandaged them up. And then he picked him up and put him on his donkey. And not only that, he took him to an inn where he told the innkeeper, he says, you know what, keep this guy alive. I got some business to do, but I'll be right back because my job is not done with this man. God has called us to do more when empowering the poor. The book of Matthew, chapter 25, if you want to take a quick look up there, uh, verse 40, gives a great example why we should do this. Jesus is talking about the day of where we're going to be standing in heaven. It says there's a separation between the sheep and the goat. And what happens is these, all these masses of people are there, and they're being separated. And if you guys know the context, there's a whole another spiritual side with end times and all that there, but I'm not diving into that. But I just want to talk about what Jesus is saying to the group of people that he has separated, to the people people he's calling in to their homes. And he's, he's talking to them, and he's saying, do you know what? Uh, when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was hungry, uh, you put food in my belly. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And these people are looking at Jesus and saying, what are you talking about? Like, Jesus, uh, we know who you are, uh, but when were you naked and we clothed you? When were you hungry and we fed you? When, when, when did we see you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When were you in prison and we came and visited you? I don't remember any of that. And Jesus says something so profound, and this is really the foundation of today's message. And it says this, verse 40, and it says, And the king, king meaning Jesus, will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to who? You did it to who? You did it to who? Jesus. Jesus himself. When you clothe those who are naked, when you give food to those who are hungry, when you see someone thirsty and you offer them a drink, when you know someone is in prison and you decide to take time and go and visit them, you're not just doing it just to some person, but you're doing it as if it is Jesus himself. And Jesus notices that. Translation, whenever you help the poor, whenever you empower them, you're actually ministering and blessing Jesus. The writer of Proverbs even goes beyond that in Proverbs 19, 17. Check this verse. I'll go and throw it up there. It says, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. Let me read that one more time because we don't think we do a Lord a favor, but this verse says something totally different. When, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. And not only are you lending, but God knows it and it says that he's going to repay you. When you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. And these two verses alone gives us a vivid picture of what it is for us to do when empowering the poor. And it's not just to be nice and do good things to those who are down on their luck, but it clearly says in Scripture that we just read that when we minister to them, when we're doing it unto Jesus, when we're doing these things, the Lord notices it. The Lord notices it. And he counts it as if you're doing him a favor. You see, a lot of times, we stop at our talk. I'll pray about it. 
Let, let me pray about it. I, I get that. I get your need. Let me pray about it. It's what the Lord wants me to do. I'll get right back to you. Or, hey, let's just talk about this need in the community. We'll just talk about it and just talk about how tragic it is and, and how down and out it is and how someone better do something about it. Oh, man, who is the Lord going to send? But when we stop at the talk and we move forward in action, the Lord counts it as a favor and he's going to repay you. We're not only called not to talk about it and pray about it, but let's put words into action. 1 John chapter 3, 17 through 18. Check this verse out. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Meaning that if, if you see a need and you are able to meet that need, but you close your heart off and say someone else can do it, the writer's saying, how does the love of Jesus abide in you? How can you have the love of Jesus if, if you do that? How can you really say you love Jesus? How can you really say that, that you're a Christian? How can you really say that you're, you serve Jesus Christ if you see a need and you know you can meet it and you close your heart off to it? Anyone toes getting stepped on besides mine? It happens all the time. How can you have the love of God in you? But he goes on and says, little children, meaning us, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. In deed and truth. But Vaughn, we're, we're, we're not saved by, by, by our works. I know that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying that if you are so full with the love of Jesus Christ, you can't help but to go out and show someone the love of Jesus that you have. If, if, if you are, you know, when we sing about reckless love or we sing the song Oceans, we're talking about how we're, we're give this picture of we're just, we're just flooding in Jesus' love and that we're just drowning in his mercy and grace. And our God is so good because he does this for me. But at the same time, while God says, yes, I'm doing this for you, you need to show the person next to you the same thing. You need to show your neighbor the same thing. The person that you avoid when you see them at Walmart and you take a different aisle because they're a little bit different from you or you had a little spat earlier or they're different economic class or maybe they don't dress the same way or, or whatever it may be, they might smell funny. It, it doesn't, he's saying, show them the same thing that I showed you. Show them the same thing that I showed you. So Rock Church, I want to make sure we get to a point that we're not just talking about it, but we're actually doing something about it. Why? What did I say earlier? Because if God were to do something, if God were to do something about a problem, who's he going to do it through? Us. Someone that is open to his spirit and his leading and to putting their words into action. He's going to do it through you. I think a lot of times when we stop and we pray for that miracle, I mean, we've, we've done that, right? Like, Lord, would you just send someone to do that? Like, Lord, my child, uh, they desperately need a para in their room. They can't afford anyone. So, Lord, would you just bring, like, someone that would just volunteer in their classroom? Because they desperately need it, Lord, so all the children get the proper attention that they need. Lord, would you just, all the while, I am believing 100%, Lord, saying, that's you. That's you. Lord, that family, they need groceries, and I've seen their refrigerator I've seen what their clothes, you know, what the kids with the clothes wear, and it's just ratty, and their, their shoes are too small. And Lord, would you just send a church or a, a nonprofit organization to really help them meet their need? All the while, the Lord is saying, that's you. You go meet that need. 
And again, like I said earlier, I had to rethink my whole, whole theology about this because I grew, up, I grew up with the mindset of thinking that those people who need help, they're just needy. You give them a handout and you try to help them out, they're just going to stab you in the back. And really, you're not doing anything to, but to support their addiction and all these other issues that they have. But here's the issue, church. We're not called to try to fix those issues. We're just called to try to meet the need. That's what we're called to do. God wants to do something about empowering the poor through his church. And so as we keep going today, I want to answer a quick question before we get to my last few points. Is The question is this, what is poverty? What is poverty? There really isn't a biblical definition, uh, but the Google definition simply says someone that is extremely poor. Good job, Google. Um, the, image, the image of poverty that we get, especially as Americans, uh, we tend to think of third world villages with kids with, with super tiny stomachs. You can see the ribs and they're digging through trash to get some food. Or, or maybe if you're a teenager here, maybe poverty for you is, is like, oh no, the Wi-Fi went out for a whole day. Oh Lord, help me. Oh man, my Instagram account got hacked and I had to get a brand new one. Oh no. It's, it's real. Some teenagers think that, trust me. It's real. But this is why, because of this mindset, my first point is this, is that most Americans define as poverty as a lack of something material. We Americans, we define poverty as a lack of something material. We think poverty is due to a lack of, 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 of missing a, a, an important item in life. We think of no money, no car, uh, living in a very small house, having no tele, te, uh, television, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, when someone is in that state, we kind of tend to label them on the poor side. We kind of put them in, in that category. In fact, growing up, I probably thought I was poor, and we really weren't. I was actually kind of looking back. My parents did an awesome job. But growing up, I mean, I remember growing up, we had to shop at stores like Ross and to shop at consignment stores and to get my, to get my clothes. I couldn't afford to go to the mall and shop like an American Eagle. That was a big store back, you know, when I was growing up. Um, or like go to get buckle jeans or to get Lucky Brand and, and do those things. And I thought, oh, I don't have, have those things. And I didn't have a game console like the newest stage, PlayStation or Xbox. If I did, it was like I had the PlayStation 1 when everyone had the PlayStation 3. And I thought, oh, woe is me. We're so poor. We can't afford these things. Uh, I didn't have the iPhone or iPod growing up because we actually just had one family cell phone that we would borrow just in case if someone needed it. And, and I say a real cell phone because we had an old Nokia gray brick that all you could do is press the numbers in and play that little Tetris game. I mean, that, that's all we could do. And so I didn't have my real cell phone until I was a senior in high school. I didn't have a cell phone until I was a senior in high school. And I always thought I had less than when it comes to material things and thought that this is what poor looks like. But really, poverty is much bigger than that. Poverty is much bigger than that. And I want to challenge you to think bigger than that. And in fact, one of the things in my psychology classes that I learned in the world of human behavior is that this, the second point, the truly poor in this world, the truly poor in this world define poverty as a mindset. 
the truly poor in this world define poverty as a mindset that, there's, that there was actually a group of people that did a survey, and they went to the poorest nations of the poorest nations. They went to places like Nicaragua and, and Zambodia and all these places where we see those commercials about the sad kids and they're super skinny and, and we just want to help them out or all these really, really poor places. And the group survey went there and it says, hey, um, a lot of people think that you guys are poor and that you're impoverished. Um, what do you think poverty means? And you say, well, poverty is not about lacking something material. It's, it's actually, it's, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. And I want us to catch this because they interviewed the truly poor nations, and when they asked them about poverty, they didn't say, well, I was missing, you know, a big house. I don't have a car to get to work. I don't have the best stove to cook my food. My kids are still wearing their clothes and have the best clothes. So yeah, I guess we're, we're, we're living in poverty. They didn't even say that. They said that, you know, poverty, it's just a mindset. In fact, have you ever thought about this? And, this? and this is true. If you go on a mission trip and you visit these historical countries, they don't think they're poor. They don't see themselves as people in poverty. But for some reason, we Americans, we see that and say, oh, they have less than. They don't have that material item that I knew that they could have it. They could have a better life. It'd be a little bit better for them. So because of that, uh, this is a poor person. And so I think we need to change the way we think. And they talked about having this mindset, and they say that those who are in this poverty mindset are living in mostly in shame and humiliation. I, I can't say that word, but you know what I'm saying? They mentioned those who are in poverty, they feel trapped. They have this mindset that they can't get out of the situation that they are in, so they just need to figure out how to survive through today. They say it's a mindset. This is what the truly poor nation said about poverty, and so we can make sure that when it comes to empowering the poor, we have to help in a way that gives them a hand up, not a hand out. Because helping and empowering the poor is not about giving them a materialistic thing but it's helping them to get ahead in life. And I believe that's what God has called us to do. As North Americans, we tend to do the opposite. We give out handouts like crazy things that's just going to change their whole life. And, and really, some handouts do. I'm not, I'm not looking down upon if you drop some change or, or give someone a check or, and helping them to get on their way. That, that, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. But I am saying, don't just stop there. Go above and beyond that. Because a lot of times we think giving them a handout will change their whole life, but in most cases, we only get them, give them a handout. And what that handout does, it just gets them through that moment in their crisis until the next crisis comes. And then we give out another handout, and the next crisis comes. And pretty soon we're wondering, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm running out of money. I'm running out of change. I'm running out of things. I've seen that guy there all the time. I don't know what, I gave him 20 bucks. That should have changed his life. We're called to give a hand up, not just a hand out. And sometimes when we help and we think we're doing good, we're actually harming them in the process. Let me share you an example that happens a lot during Christmas time between uh, Christmas and, and churches. 
Uh, during Christmas, there's a huge push for churches to do things like, like adopt, a, adopt a family, a, a, a poor family or a lower economic family. And so the churches say, would you just adopt this family? And would you, on Christmas Day, would you just go out and you buy all their kids just amazing toys and just blow them away with, with this church's love? And so a lot of times they'll go out and they'll buy all these amazing toys. And on Christmas Day, they'll march up to this unexpected house. And they're just so excited because they're like, oh my gosh, can you imagine the look on their faces. These kids are going to love it. And we're just so filled with God's love. And we're doing a good thing. And they go in there and they drop the toys on the ground. And the kids are opening them up and the kids are just drooling everywhere because all these amazing toys that this love of church that is just bringing. But there's always a person that sees in the background a mom and dad shuffling about hiding their presence because their presence don't compare to the good presence that the church brought. And we would think as a church, like, well, they should be, you know, loving. Because after all, we did this. We're showing Jesus his love. But we have to get outside of our thinking. We have to kind of think what's going through their heads. And more times than not, the parents will get this message saying, if you can't provide your kids a good Christmas, then we will do it. And that has happened. And I've seen it happen. And it actually hurts them more because we're, think, we're thinking we're doing more good. And more times than not, those who are truly poor in our community, they're not looking for handouts. They're not. If you get to know them and establish that relationship, the truly poor in our community, they're just looking for a hand up to get ahead in life. They're looking for a hand up to get ahead in life. And so we can discuss all day what poverty is and what being truly poor looks like, but I do know this, and I think we can all agree with this, is that the root of all poverty is brokenness. That's the kind of the common thing that I've been seeing, is that the root of all poverty is brokenness. And guess what? In reality, we're all broken. We're all broken in some way. And, and there's, just, there's, there's more than just material brokenness, material poverty. There's actually relational brokenness. That, that, that's why like, when we go to places like Nicaragua, we freak out because we go to these little villages and we're like, oh my gosh, they don't have TV. They don't have you know, a working stove. They, they cook out of the ground and they, they wear these ratted clothes and they're wearing like Super Bowl 5 t-shirts. And we know that Super Bowl like 40-something is this, this February. And, and oh my gosh, they don't have name brand shoes. They're wearing like these weird little uh, tire pieces all strapped together and they count that oh my goodness, they don't have that. But man, their family gets along really well. There's community in this household that I don't even have back in the States. That's called relational brokenness. I think more times than not, in America, we don't struggle with material poverty. We struggle with relational poverty. Because let me tell you, in those communities like Nicaragua, that's all they care about. They don't care about the nicest house. They don't care about, you know, having the things. They're like, let's just get by with this. But as long as we have each other, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. So there's relational brokenness or relational poverty. But then there's another type of relational poverty, and this is what I think maybe what we struggle with here uh, just in the church in general, is if we have a need in our life, we're too prideful to ask for help. But the person that we would ask help from, 
they're so self-consumed with their life, they wouldn't even blink an eye at your need. You wonder what's wrong with our government right now? That's exactly what's wrong. And this has leaked into the church. Not just the, no, no, I'm not talking about the rock. I'm just talking big C church in general. It's leaked in the church where we come in, we have, a, we have the perfect family with a smile and, you know, I got a nice car and I have a beautiful family and we're all good and we're going to worship Jesus and we're going to listen to Pastor Vaughn preach and then we're going to shake his hand and let him know all the good things that the Lord is doing and then we're going to go back home and then we're just going to argue our faces off. That's what happens. Relational brokenness. But then there's also brokenness with self. These aren't in your notes, but you can write them down. Brokenness with self is that we lack self-confidence in this life. We, we think we can't do this or get ahead. We, we tend to tell ourselves, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. That's all broken, uh, brokenness in self. And there again, it's relational brokenness, which I'm going to focus on here in the last few minutes. But relational brokenness is when we find a need and we're too ashamed to ask for help. Or we're on the opposite and we see a need and we don't bother stepping in. And there's a massive disconnect in this relationship today, especially within God's people. And the root of it is brokenness. But here's the thing. I want to help you change your mindset. In Luke 4, chapter 18 through 19, we'll help explain it. Let me just read it to you. It's the part where Jesus comes up and reads the scroll of the book of Isaiah, and he's fulfilling prophecy, and he's saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And later on in this account, Jesus says that this very same prophecy is fulfilled in your midst, saying that this guy that he's talking about right here, this, this Savior that's to come, that's going to help save and rescue the poor, that's actually me, Jesus. And the reason I want to explain that is because we have to change our mindset of we're not called to be the Savior. We think too many times that we need to come in and, and rescue in that we are the one that, that, that's going to change their whole life and restore and do that whole thing. But really, God's saying, that's Jesus. That's Jesus' job. And so with this in mind, I have three ideas that I believe we're called to do that I want to share. Point one is this. We're called to serve others, not save others. We're called to serve others, not save others. Too many times we try to save and not serve that's what those quick little handouts, we think, oh, we're just going to save them. Uh, no, we're called to serve them. We hear of great organizations of going into poor neighborhoods and doing amazing projects like building parks and then marching out of there like they just saved their entire life. And again, I'm not talking down about that because if we have an opportunity to do that at the Rock Church, you bet we're going to build that park. But we're not just going to stop there. We're going to get to know the people a little bit. We're going to serve them. The mistake lies within not serving. I bet if you go into one of our poor communities in North Platte and get to know them and ask them what they need, the last thing that they'll say is, well, maybe if you build us a park, we'll be much better in life. I don't think that's what they will say. But if you serve, if you know you're called to serve and not save, and you serve them, you may find out that they don't necessarily need a park, but they need someone to go in there to teach them to read because they are a little bit illiterate. 
And because if they can read, they can get a better job. If they can get a better job, they can get paid more than the minimum wage. If they get more than the minimum wage, they can provide more for their family. You kind of see the trail of this? If you serve, you find out that the single mother doesn't need more toys for her kids, but she would actually like someone to come in and watch her children for a couple hours so she can pick them an extra shift at work. That's what happens is when you just try to stop saving and serve them. When you serve, you find out it's, it's, it's the act of serving itself that will do more good for them. And we need to know that we're not the Savior. We're not the, the rescuer. We're, we're not, that's not our job. Not even the rock church is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And the best way to point people to Jesus, because that's our job to point people to Jesus, the best way to do that, we just read it. And what did it say? Through our deeds and truth. Through our actions. The best way to point people to Jesus is through our actions. That's why point two is this. We're called to relate with people, not rescue people. We're called to relate with people, not rescue people, if the team would like to come back up. We're called to relate with people, to, to really to, to, to empathize with others, to put ourselves in their shoes for a day and begin to understand their lives. You see, when you relate, it's no longer about you. Attention, attention up here, guys. It's no longer about you, but you begin to relate with them. Relating means you begin to understand what it would be like to put yourself in their shoes for a day. That's what happens when we know that we are called to relate with people, not rescue people. And when we do that, when we know that we're not this awesome church that just comes in swooping in like superheroes and throwing gifts and toys and money and whatever we think they need for us to rescue them. No, when we relate with them, we see more than just the material things that they might need. We begin to see the spiritual things the Lord wants to give them. Because it all comes down to brokenness. That because of a horrible divorce, they're in this situation. And because they're in this situation, there is an open door for Jesus to bring restoration. That because this person was abused as a child, they find themselves in this problem. And there's an opportunity for Jesus to bring restoration. When we begin to relate with them, we understand that we do not need to do anything that they can really do for themselves. Parents, apply that to your parenting and see how much your child just amazes you. But we try too many times, we, we do the things that we know they can do for themselves. But if we go above and beyond and give them that hand up in life, watch what they can do. It's amazing. That's why point three, we're called to reach out, not reach down. When we reach down, we have the tendency to treat people like projects. And let me tell you, people are not projects. People are real human beings that have a real soul, that have a real eternity and a real destination and a real life after this life. And so we have to learn not to reach down and say, oh, pity you. Let me help you restore you and kind of do like a, like a fixer-upper episode. And then, then I'll show you off to all my friends and, and see, look what I did. I remodeled his life. But when you reach out, 
you will remember that you're just a common human being just like they are, and there might be a time where you're going to find yourself in the same situation that they are in right now. That's what happens when you reach out. Not reach down. Don't belittle them. But reach out. You know, and this is why we have the Hope Fund. Where the second Sunday of every month, we take a $1 offering where it's strictly set aside to help those who are in a difficult time of life. And we're going to do that here in a moment. Where I'm going to ask you, just to give $1 in this hope fund. That's all it is. And we set it aside. And it's not just a quick handout, but we actually give them a hand up. Because while we meet their immediate need, we go above and beyond that and say, like, how can we help you so we don't find yourself in this situation again? For some people, they're just horrible at their personal finances. And so you know what we do? We set them up with financial coaching. For some people, they're not that great at parenting and they keep finding themselves getting, needing these resources like diapers and those things and, and they're just not that you know, great, but it's because they've never been taught. They didn't have a great parent in the first place. So we set them up the parenting class. We do these things and that's why today this Hope Fund, we're actually going to treat it differently. We're not going to keep it in-house, but we're actually going to give it to one, what I believe to one of the best organizations in North Platte. It's called Family First Partnership family first partnership and it's this organization that more times than not i refer people to this organization because they can do more than what we could ever do they're the ones that provide the parenting classes the financial coaching classes they're the ones that that if a child needs a vaccine and the, the parents can't afford that and or maybe they're lost in the system or those things this organization can help oversee that process not only do they have that, but they have mobile clinics that they take to rural areas. And if you don't believe it or not, there's a lot of kind of impoverished people in rural areas. They take that camp thing and they take it over there and they take the medical needs to the people. They help out so much. They teach them how to dress for an interview and how to do interviews well. They even teach people who need a GED to get ahead in life. They even teach them how to go back into high school, get that GED, graduate with successful grades, and how to use that GED to get you a job placement. I didn't know these people existed until a couple years ago. They're one of the best organizations I've ever heard of. And they're a great organization. And that is what today's Hope Fund is going to go towards. So ushers, if you want to make your... If you don't make yourself uh, come forward, just walk up here. I don't know. I was trying to word that in a different way. But this is where this is going. Family first partnership. And so today's hope offering is going just to do that. It's a $1 offering. If you feel like you want to give more, that's between you and God. That's totally fine. But know that this is where this $1 is going to go towards. Family first partnership. If you guys want to go ahead and do that, you can go ahead and pass those those buckets. And while they're doing that, if you're sitting here thinking like, Vaughn, I, I just don't want it just to give, but I want to be on the ground, help. I want to be on the ground and help out too. Actually, I want to meet those people. I want to do that work. I want to see what it takes to, to help to, to meet those needs. I want to be that person. Stay tuned for that community Sunday where we're going to go out and you can be that person. And you can be on ground zero, and as you're painting the walls at the family rooms, at the connection, you can hear the family story of the young girl and who had a horrible, just a domestic abuse relationship, and they just need help. You'll hear of all these stories where, where you will start to relate and empathize with these people. You can be a part of this. 
I want you to keep in tune with that community Sunday. And as we close, I just want to do this one thing. Will you guys stand with me? You guys stand with me? If you want to close your eyes. Because as I talked about earlier, the root of all of this is brokenness. The root of all of this is brokenness. And it says in Scripture that because Adam and Eve, they, they, they sinned first, sin entered the world, and so in, in essence, there's spiritual brokenness in this world. There's also relational brokenness. If you are broken, we talked about, we sang about amazing grace. Now I'm going to tell you, that grace, Jesus is the only one that can come in and bind up that brokenness. If you this morning, if you know like, you know what, Vaughn, I'm, I'm broken. Whether I need Jesus or, or I need to get something right with the Lord, but I know this morning I am broken. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's in a strange uh, 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 deal with, with, with a mom or a dad. Maybe, maybe it's financially. Maybe you're just broke financially. I get that. I've been there. Maybe it's with your job. Whatever it is, it comes down to brokenness. And if that is you, I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up?